I was thinking this week, I'm, I'm reading a strange book. I'm not even going to tell you about the book. It's so strange. In fact, I probably wish I hadn't read it. But anyway, but there's one thing it did speak to me about the importance of things in life, what counts, what's really important. And it speaks about having a personal relationship with the Lord um, and how, how we shouldn't just go through the motions. But the Lord is in us and he wants us to be real in our hearts and our lives. And I was thinking about Saturday morning service. It's not just for me to get up here and share a message or for you to see some dancing and hear some prayers. I mean, we go through the motions. And I hope it's not just the motions. I hope it speaks to you. The dancing is beautiful. And hopefully they dance to the Lord. And our prayers, we pray to the Lord. And we give, we give to the Lord. Uh, it's supposed to be meaningful. The words that we speak are not just to get through a message. Hopefully they change our lives. And that's what we really want. And that's one thing that was good about the book. So now don't tell me you should read the book. I just told you that. that don't worry. That's enough of that. But, but it, it's meaningful. And then I was thinking about this little series we're doing, how important it really is. Because we took a side note from uh, Micah. And I know if I was in your place and other people's places, listen, we're in Micah. Let's get through Micah. Why? Take your time. What do we care? We have until the Lord either takes you home or he raptures us. So we'll get through. It's okay. Don't be so anxious. And so he purposely, I purposely took a sidetrack in Micah 5.2 because I thought this topic is so important. Not only that, that this morning I'm talking to Michael Radelnik. And Michael says that Moody's asked him to write a popular book on the ancient prophecies of Messiah. And then he says to me, so what are you preaching on this morning? And I said, the ancient prophecies of Messiah. <laughs> so he's going to make it a popular, popular little handbook. And it is very important. The things we're saying for these next last couple of weeks and this weeks are so important because you always ask me and people always say, what are we doing to reach the lost? I'll tell you. We, do, we meet every Saturday to reach the lost. So you can bring the lost here and they can hear the message of the good news of Messiah, that Yeshua died for our sins, that he was raised, and that by putting our trust in him we have eternal life. That's the message. So I want you to go out and bring people. We at Shuva have a ready-made great, great opportunity which a lot of the people, a lot of the churches today in the world are doing special events. They do special events to bring in the unbelievers. And so we automatically have special events, don't we? We had last week, Bar Bar Mitzvah. Non-believing Jewish people heard the gospel maybe last week for the first time. They saw Bishop uh, last week do an amazing job. And they saw, uh, the, who? Sammy, thank you. you know, it's, it's, a, it's that old day, that, that moment, you know. And to all of you who are listening to me online, it's a senior moment, but that's okay. Anyway, we had Sammy. He did a great, great job as well. And so people are hearing the message of Messiah. And before that, we had the double one in, in December. Then we also have Hanukkah special events. They come. Um, in a few weeks, we're going to have Purim. Bring in your people. Bring in to hear the message in a Jewish context and culture. It is so important. One of the most important things that we do in life is share the message of Messiah. And so when you ask me, how do I do it? I'd like to be prepared. We have special events, and we prepare you during the year through some of the messages. I weave things in, but sometimes we do series like this. 
And this, these messages that I'm sharing, you should be committing many of them, the verses, to memory so you can share them. Remember the first thing very easily that I tell you how to share. There's three things you always remember. You share your story. You have a great story. You share your how you came to faith. Make it interesting. Uh, it is interesting automatically. And then you use the Bible verses. That's how we like to prepare you. You are equipped. If you, even if you don't think so, God is equipping you. And that's what we're doing here in this series. We are giving you verses and thoughts about the Messiah that you could share. This is how, this is what Yeshua did with the, the disciples uh, on the road to Emmaus. He says he opened up their hearts to the Scripture. And he taught them all that was written about him in the Good. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And so Yeshua gave them a Bible study all about him in the old covenant scripture. Not in the new covenant, all in the old. And that's what we're trying to prepare you. Yeshua told the Jewish leaders, you think you have eternal life? It's the scriptures that tell you about me. It's in them. In them you could read about me. We see the Great Rabbi Saul, the Apostle Paul, when he went everywhere, what did he do? He shared what is written in the Scriptures. And that's what you need to know. Be quick, just at the drop of your hat, whenever you can. Um, uh, whenever, uh, whenever I can, I, I meet couples. I went out to a restaurant a couple weeks ago. I always love that because I'm, I'm, I'm at this restaurant and... Uh, we're having hors d'oeuvres in a basement, special restaurant, and we're having hors d'oeuvres, and I hear this accent from this person standing next to me with his wife. And I said, well, where's that accent from? You know, I know, you, you know me, I'm bold, but you can do the same. You know, be friendly and be nice. Uh, just, where's that accent from? And it was joy to my heart. You know what he said? Israel. Israel, you're Israelis. Yes. Oh, where do you live? Oh, I go there. Oh, you go there? Why do you go? Anyway, I go there a couple times a year. You take, I say, I take people. Oh, we had such fun time talking about it. And so while we're talking about Israel, I said, oh, by the way, we have a congregation called Shuva Yisrael. And, and you should come. And, you know, you're not going to come, but you know, you, you invite them. And uh, I've done this on the airplane. We've got stewardess, flight attendants to come. To, anyway, so we're talking. And then they had another Israeli couple with them. And we're all talking and having fun fellowship. And then they go to one room in this restaurant. We go to another room. And a few minutes later, I come to their table. And I start talking to them again. And I'm just sharing. And then I, I, and I said, oh, you know what you need? And I wrote down 5,000 Baranka. And I wrote down our name and our email. What, are you ever going to hear from them? Anyway, this week, this week, I get an email. You don't remember us probably, but we were the Israeli, uh, we were the Israeli couple. It was us, and we're interested in coming out to your congregation. Hold on, hold on, hold on, wait. You're not here yet, are you? You are? No, you're not the person. Anyway, but they were, we're talking. They would like to come. They like a new community, and they know we're Messianic, and they're not. In fact, the two couples, uh, I thought they were both Israeli. The one, the one was, uh, uh, I said, how can you eat this? The first appetizer was shrimp. And, they, and the first couple said, oh, no, we're kosher, we don't eat that. The, the other said, we're kosher, but we eat it. I still don't understand that one. But anyway, oh, Fran, this can't count as my message time. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, it does. All right. Amen. Good night. Oh, everybody. Let's go. Anyway, so they're interested, and uh, hopefully they'll be coming out. There was another person I bumped into. Uh, they also showed interest. 
do it. We've had many, many people come out of nowhere like that. I remember years ago, famous, she's, she's passed on, went to be with the Lord, uh, Madeline Singer and Elsie, they meet people in the elevator and they invite people and they started coming, became one of ours. We sent them to Israel. Anyway, it happens. Always, share. What are you sharing, everyone? One? Two? What was that? Testimony. And Three? What I'm telling you now. Okay, there we go. So now we're ready. You have your outlines? I'm talking about the Messiah's first coming. I want you to fill in, if you haven't, very quickly. Here we go. I said there's a few things about Messiah. Let's see, what do we say here? We have a main idea or not today? No? First, first slide. Main idea. Okay, you don't. Okay, and that is we should recognize. There we go, thanks. We should be able to recognize who the Messiah is by his life, death, and the ministry in the Tanakh. Tanakh is the Old Covenant. T is Torah, and prophets. C, that's in Hebrew, Nevi'im. C-H, the writings. Everything's written about him. The first thing we said, if you want to just fill it in or not quickly, one, the Messiah was human, not just God. He was also human. We saw that in Genesis chapter 3, and we saw when God said in chapter 3, 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and and her seed, he, his seed, will bruise you on the head. That is the first prophecy in Scripture. It's not vague. You might not want to use it. I haven't used it too much. But it is telling us about the Messiah. Messiah would crush Satan, destroy him. Satan would injure him on the heel. Probably have to do with his crucifixion. I don't usually use it in my witnessing. But it is really the first mention in the Bible speaking of Messiah. The second thing I wanted you to remember is the, ta- uh, the birthplace of the Messiah. We said he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. As for you, Bethlehem, yet out of you, uh, uh, too, you're too small to be among the clans of Judah. From you will go one for... For me to be the ruler in Israel. This prophecy, Micah 5 2, spoke about the Messiah. The Jewish rabbis, the Talmud, all recognized this verse speaking of the Messiah. Not Yeshua, but we're on the same grounds. They said a Messiah. We say it's Yeshua. The third thing we said about, and you should use that, I've used it many times, the birthplace of the Messiah. Most Jewish people don't know anything about this. And so make sure when you talk to them, you're telling them. See, you're changing people's lives. These verses get into their head. This spoke about the Messiah 750 years before he came. He'd be born in Bethlehem. The third thing we said about the Messiah, he'd have a peculiar, unusual birth. The birth of Messiah would be a virgin born. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord God himself will give you a sign. The word sign there means miracle. He says, he will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. This verse stuck out so strongly before I came to as a believer. I was shocked when I saw it. You need to know this verse. Birthplace of Messiah, his peculiar birth. The, um, that was the third thing. The fourth thing we said, not only would he be human and born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, but he'd be Jewish. The Bible spoke specifically that he'd come from the Jewish nation. And uh, one of my favorite prophecies is Numbers chapter 24. And it says the oracle, the prophecy, the, the speaking of him who hears the words of God, that would be Balaam, who knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, having my eyes uncovered. And then my, one of my favorite verses, 24:17, The prophet says, I see him, but not yet, not now. I behold him, 
but not near. A star, and we always said the star, the Messiah, the sun. What else did I say? The seed all speak of the same thing. He says, the, um, the star shall come out of Jacob. The Messiah would be Jewish. And a scepter, he will be a ruler, will not, uh, shall rise from Israel, and he shall crush through the enemies of Israel. He, he will be of Jewish origin. Also, in the Jewish people, he will be from the tribe of J, uh, Judah. Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler staff from between his feet, until Shiloh, the Messiah, comes. This, the ruling rod of Israel, the king will come from Israel. Uh, and to him shall the obedience of all the people be. Uh, and finally, the sixth thing we said, I think we got to a seventh, the sixth thing, because it's all on the first side, the sixth thing we said, his ministry, the ministry of Messiah, how would we recognize him? One, I said, uh, the scripture, the Jewish scripture tells us he would be humble and meek. In Isaiah, it tells us he would be uh, humble and meek. It tells us in Zechariah chapter 9, well-known verse, rejoice, uh, daughters of Zion, shout in triumph. The, your king is coming to you. He's just. He's endowed with salvation. He's humble, mounted on a donkey. His ministry would be, you would notice Messiah, he'd be humble. As we know, he served the disciples. He washed their feet. He'd also be, the Bible tells us, Isaiah, that he'd be a servant. He'd be coming a servant. Behold, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49. Listen, the Messiah was supposed to come to be a servant to who? Anyone? To people? What kind of people? All people. What kind of all? Jews and Gentiles. The reason I say that, because the Bible says it. Isaiah 42 and 49. He'd be a servant to the a, 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 a covenant to our people and a light to the Gentiles. He'd be a light in Isaiah chapter 9. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse uh, 2, the people who walk in darkness, our people, will see a great light. The Messiah will come. It was a prediction. Those who live in a dark land, will sh- uh, light will shine on them. In the northern part, Zephtali, Nebulon, the Sea of Galilee, it was dark because the enemy came in. One day, a light will shine in the Sea of Galilee. And that was speaking of the Messiah. And it says in verse 6, a child be going to be born to us, a son will be given, the government's going to rest on his shoulders. So he'd be a servant, he'd be humble, he'd be meek, he'd be a light to the world. Um, also, we said, finally, that the Messiah's function, what would he do? This was very important, we looked at last time. His function, his role, the Messiah, is threefold. Does anyone remember the threefold? He'd be a... He'd be a prophet as predicted by Moses. Moses uh, said that God will raise up a prophet from among your people. He will be like me. Yeshua was like Moses. Not that he just had similarities in his life, but Yeshua was different than all the other prophets, different than all the prophets to follow Moses, different than Joshua and all the prophets. Uh, Yeshua would be different. What made Moses so different? Not just that he was born in a time when the enemy was there, the children were being killed, and not all that, similarities. But Moses, the people said, we can't speak to God direct. Moses, you go speak to him face to face. And the prophet like Moses would be Yeshua who spoke to the Messiah face to face. He would be a prophet 
just like Moses. Second, his role, he would not just bring the message of God to the people, that's the prophet. But second, his role would be he'd be a prefect. He'd be a priest from the people to God. He would be praying for the people. Yeshua was a priest, different than all other priests. All other priests, it says, died, and they had to get a next priest and the next priest. But this priest that's coming, he's going to be like Melchizedek. He has no beginning and no end. He's going to always live on. He doesn't stop being a priest because he dies because his priesthood is different. His priesthood is like Melchizedek. Not only is his priesthood different than all the other priests, this priest will rule and reign. And that we saw in Psalm uh, 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your scepter from Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. This priest is different. He would rule. In Israel, the priests didn't rule. The prophets didn't rule. What did the prophets do? Spoke for God. What did the priests do? Spoke to God for the people. What did the king do? Right. It's all separate offices. Not so with this priest. This priest, Yeshua, not only would be a prophet, but he would be a priest who would also rule. And finally, his role, we said, of the Messiah, he'd be a king like David. And God promised in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 7, verse 16, your house, David, your house, your kingdom, your throne will endure before me forever. It will be established forever. The role of the Messiah was all those things. He'd be a prophet, priest, and a king. We move on. Turn your page. Turn that page. Yay. (laughs) Okay, all right, you Weisenheimer. Okay, this is important. Actually, I just talked to Michael a couple of minutes ago before we started. He says, what are you sharing today? And I said, I'm sharing on the relationship of the son to the father. That's part of what I'm sharing as well. And so, fill it in for your number eight thing about the Messiah. And put these verses into your mind, learn them, and use them. The Messiah's relationship to God was different than all of our relationship. Yeshua the Messiah, it tells us special things about him in the Tanakh, in the Old Covenant. His relationship with the Father is different than ours. And it tells us that. Here, the first thing it says, he is called God's Son. He is called God's son in a special and unique way. Now, I, I tell the story. I probably told it before, but I tell the story, and I like to tell it because when, when I first became a believer and I was just saved three weeks, my father made an appointment for me to go see the rabbi. And so uh, I was a new baby believer, and I had to be proud of my faith, and I was going to stand up for my faith, and I was not going to deny the Lord. And so my father said, uh, you have to see Uh, We have to go to see the rabbi because of your new beliefs. So we have to go see the rabbi. I said, so when do you want to go see the rabbi? My dad was married a second time. I went with my dad and his wife. And he said, we want to go this Sunday. Well, I couldn't go that Sunday because I was scheduled to be in a church and be immersed. And so, but I couldn't deny the Lord and I couldn't hide it. So without tact and without wisdom, I looked at my dad and said, I can't go with you to see the rabbi. Why? I said, because I have to go and be baptized. Not the thing to say to your family. Probably the worst thing to say to your family. And so I talked and counseled with another believer and he said, listen, you could be immersed. That's what it means. 
The Greek word baptizo does not mean baptized. It means immersed, dipped. That's what the Greek word means. When you hear me say immersed, don't think I'm trying to get away from the word baptism, which I am, but because it really means immersed, dipped, identified with the Messiah. You die, you come up. Anyway, so the, my friend said, you're going to be, uh, we'll tell you, uh, don't tell your father, you'll be immersed the next week. I said, I can do that. He goes, sure. So I went with my dad to the rabbi and uh, I, I, I did get immersed the next week after that, but I went with my dad to the rabbi. And so I shared the verses. I was three weeks in the Lord. I knew nothing. I shared with him certain verses that I'm sharing with you. And the rabbi didn't want to talk about the verses. And I talked a lot about, I talked about Isaiah 53, and I talked about this one, Proverbs 30, and I talked about Micah 5, 2, and I shared all these verses. And even in the story, the famous story with Michael Rodelnik when he was 17 and he met with Dennis Prager and had a debate with Dennis Prager, Michael shared all these same verses with him as well many, many years ago. So I shared these verses with the rabbi, and then I said, well, I have another verse I'd like to share here. And uh, so I got out my Bible. I was reading from my Bible. And I read this verse. And I read to the rabbi and my father and his wife, who has ascended into heaven? Who's going up into heaven? Who has descended? It's in the Proverbs 34. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Everyone, I said to the rabbi, who can gather the wind in his fist? I'm not sure I said that to the rabbi, but who can gather, everyone answer, who can gather the wind in his fist? Only God. Okay. But I, I said that. Maybe scared, but I read it. Who has wrapped all the waters in the world in his garment? God. Who has wrapped the waters in Who has established all the ends of the earth? I must have been smiling a little, enjoying it, because there was my father and his wife and the rabbi, and I know it's good thing. I'm setting him up. Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Silence. I said, okay, let's try another one. I was embarrassed. There was silence. This speaks about a relationship with the Father and the Son. Yeshua has a unique relationship with the Father. He is the Son. He's always been the Son. Here, that is his relationship with him. Not only does this talk about the Son, and that's something you could use with people, because they say, when did it ever say God had a Son? Well, now that you say that, and you open up Proverbs 30, verse 4, and you read, what is his name? What is his Son's name? So, talk about the relationship with the Son. But not only that, I love the Bible also mentions the Son again, but not only that he has relationship with the Father, and what did I say here? There, He's called the Son, but also he will rule in the world as the Son of God. The Bible says that. Because people always say, all that you talk about Messiah, it's no mention of him in the Old Covenant. No mention of him in the Tanakh. Excuse me? No mention? Micah 5, 2 doesn't mention him. Isaiah uh, 7, 14 doesn't mention him. Uh, none of these verses uh, mention the Messiah. Uh, his pro- role as prophet, priest, king. It's all speaking of the Messiah. This one. Look with me in uh, Isaiah chapter 9. One of the great verses there. Speaking about the son. For a child to Israel, a child's going to be born to us. Uh, actually, 
background on this real quickly because we read something. We don't have time to read it all. But in Isaiah chapter 9, if you remember, uh, it said the Jewish people will walk in darkness. I just mentioned that a few minutes ago. They'll be in darkness. That referring to the Assyrian kingdom that came in, destroyed the northern kingdom, took them captive. And in the land near Galilee, Zebulon, Naphtali, and the Galilee, they'd walk in darkness. But someday coming, they will walk in light. The light will come. Isaiah 9 tells us that God will take us from darkness to light. He will take us from defeat to victory. He will take us from self-rule to Messiah's rule, the sons. That's where you get to when you get to Isaiah chapter 9, 6, where it says here, a child's going to be, who's going to accomplish this and defeat the enemy? A child's going to be born to us. A son is going to be given. The son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulder. The Messiah will be born in Israel. He is coming. He will rule in Israel. He's called the son of God. And the son who's going to be born, who's going to be given to Israel, he's going to come, rule in Israel, and the government's going to be on the Messiah's shoulders. It all speaks. This is a history of our people through the Messiah. But also one of my favorites that speak about the Son. So if anyone ever talks to you about the Son, first you have what verse do you use? Everyone? Proverbs 34. Then you go to Isaiah 9, 6. Then, have fun, go to Psalm 2, one of my favorite Psalms in the Scripture. And everyone look up here for a minute on Psalm 2 because he's going to rule as the Son, we said. With all his other roles and all his function, he's going to come and rule as the Son of God. Now, everyone up here. Good. Psalm 2. Whenever a king got on the throne of Israel, David got on the throne, the kings after David got on the throne, you know what they would recite, everyone? Psalm 2. It was what we call a coronation psalm. And it spoke not just of the king sitting on the throne, but it spoke of a future king coming who would fulfill the role of all the other small kings of uh, Hezekiah and Josiah and uh, uh, the other kings. You know all their names. Anyway, Ahaz. And, uh, but there's a coming. The, all the kings would recite this psalm. But it's a, it was a prophecy. It was a prediction. It was a, a picture of the future of the coming king, the son. The one who gathered the wind in his fist. The son who the government's going to be on his shoulders. The son here. Psalm 2 speaks of the God placing his son on the throne. And, it, and it's a picture of the end time. It's really a picture of the end time. And so the kings would say it. And so if you write this down, in Psalm 2 verses 1 to 3, it tells us the whole world is upset with God. Because they don't want God to rule over them. And so the Psalms, why are the nations, why are the people in an uproar? And then it tells you in Psalm 1, 2, and 3 that they're all in an uproar because they're fighting against God and against his Mashiach, that's the word, the Messiah. And they say, we don't want them to rule over us. Let's break off their cords from us. Let's be free. Psalm 2, verses 1 to 3 speaks about that. And it says, why are the nations in an uproar? Why are the people devising vain, futile things. The kings are taking their stand on the earth. The rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, this is what the world's going to say in the end times. Let us break their fetters, their bonds apart. Let's cast their cords from us. 
Let's break free from God. Psalm 2 tells us the world doesn't want God. But whenever a king in Israel would sit on the throne, they were saying, God placed us here. And in the end times, the whole world will rise against. We know the end times when all the world rises up against Israel. And we know the whole book of Revelation and all the nations come against Israel. God is going to place his son. That's the relationship. He will be called the son. He will rule as the son. Verse 4, it says, but, uh, uh, yeah, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. It's a contrast. Psalm 2, 1 to 3, the world's looking up at God and saying, we don't want you. We're free. You're not going to rule over us. We're going to do what we want. And God's in the heavens. I love the way the scripture does it, the way he speaks. God, the Bible says God's in the heaven looking down. <laughs> Can you believe them? They're trying to say no to me, to God's rule and authority. That's the psalm. The world's rejecting God's Messiah. The world's rejecting God's son. God sits there in the heavens and he laughs. You can't resist me. We can't resist everything. Everything that goes wrong is going wrong today. That we think the world's coming to an end and everything that's so horrible and the morality we see, uh, we see of people uh, willing to kill children even after they're born now, doing horrible things. Listen, they're all fitting into God's perfect plan. Nothing is taking God by surprise. It all, God sits there and laughs at the world. What are you trying to do? And it says in verse 4, he sits in the heavens, laughs, he scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them. Right? God will speak. He's laughing, looking down. <laughs> and he gets angry at the world. And he says, you say no, but let me tell you what I'm going to do. But as for me, I've installed, I've placed, I've appointed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And there's another word you could throw into it with Israel. The seed, the star, the Mashiach. Well, there was another one in there. And the king, um, the son, they're all the same. God says, you, uh, uh, I will surely tell the decree to the world. He, and someone's telling us this, speaking. God said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. There it is again. God is establishing his son on his throne in Israel to rule the world. This is the picture in the millennial kingdom. When the Messiah takes the stand, takes his throne, rules for the king. Rules, he is the king. Rules for God. And it says, and he's speaking here. This is probably the Messiah's words. God the Father said to me, you're my son. Today I've installed you. I've appointed you as the king. And he says, this is what the Father said to me. Ask me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth as your possession. You, God says to him, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like earthenware. God will destroy them. So we see in this psalm, the world says no. God says yes. Then the Son says, God appointed me to rule over the nations. And then God gives them a final warning in this psalm. And he tells them in the psalm, now listen, when you're sharing with people, you don't have to share the whole background. What you do want to share is that it says, today God will install his son on Zion. That's enough for people. They'll see the son, king, the ruler. They will see, what was that verse there? Um, 
He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. But then God warns the world in verse 9. Uh, verse 9, he says, you'll show shout at them. Then he warns the world in verse 12. Do homage or worship. Worship to the son. There's the son again. That he, uh, that he may not be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take delight in him. The Messiah will reign. What is the relationship with Yeshua to the Father here? One, he is, a, he is named God's son. Second, he will rule on the throne as God's son. That is the Messiah's ministry. You have, you have verses to be able to share. When you share that with people and they see in Proverbs, what, he, uh, what is his num- name? What is his son's name? Then they see in Isaiah that a son is going to be given to us. Then they see in, uh, what did we just read there? I forgot already. No, Psalm 2, the son, God appointed the son who will rule and reign in Israel. That's the relationship of the Son. The next thing, uh, I think we're in uh, number nine, we see the Messiah's rejection. The Messiah would be rejected. Um, This is all in his first coming. There are two main passages that I like to think of when I think of the rejection. I mean, I could think of Psalm uh, 22, which I will get to when I talk about Messiah's death. But here... With the value, actually, what does we say here? The Messiah's rejection. There are two passages which tell you. Because a lot of people say to me, when the Messiah comes, wouldn't we accept him? The answer to that, everyone, is no. Our people would not accept him. And they say, a lot of times they say, if, the Messiah, if Yeshua is the Messiah, wouldn't we accept him? Where's world peace? Well, your answer is, the Bible says, when he came, they wouldn't accept him. He'd be rejected. And he didn't come to bring world peace the first time. He came to bring personal peace and salvation. He's coming back again to bring world peace. But the first time he came, the Bible makes it very clear, he'd be rejected. There's two sections, two passages. One is a little more difficult than the other. The first one that he'd be rejected is in Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah chapter 11 tells us that he'd be rejected. It's a complicated passage. Follow along with me. Zechariah 11 verse 4. Thus says, thus says the Lord my God, pastor of the flock doomed to slaughter. Very quick, a little background here. The prophet Zechariah is speaking to the people. He's a prophet who speaks God's word to the people. And then one day God said to Zechariah, Zechariah, I want you to put on a skit. I want you to put on some special robes, just like we might put on a skit here. I want the, the people to see the skit, and they will understand This is what I want you to do. I want you to change your clothes, and I want you to dress as a shepherd. And I want you to go to the people and take the role of a good shepherd, which really was the picture of the Messiah. Later on, he was also to take the role of a bad shepherd, of the anti-Messiah. But he was to take the role of a good shepherd. And that's what Zechariah chapter 11 is all about. The good shepherd is coming to his people to save his people. Zechariah 11, and it says in verse 4, pastor of the flock doomed to slaughter. Zechariah is telling us that the people that he's going to, the nation of Israel, will suffer. They will suffer persecution. The temple eventually will be destroyed. They will be scattered and dispersed throughout the world. The Jewish people are doing, that's happening. Zechariah is telling them, our people will suffer. He said, but I want you to play the role of the good, of the good shepherd, the, the Messiah who's coming. 
I knew he was going to be rejected. That's the background in Zechariah 11. So I pastored the flock. He did the role of pastoring, pastoring, shepherding, caring for, feeding, taking care of all the flock. He did the work of Messiah, the true shepherd. Like all the other shepherds, the Messiah is the true shepherd. So I pastored the flock doomed to slaughter, hence the afflicted of the flock. So I took for myself two staffs. What's the shepherd have? Staff, rod and staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me. We know that, Psalm 23. So I took the, the, the two staffs. Uh, I took the two staffs, one called favor, the other called union. The two shepherds, the, uh, the rod and staff, the, those two were supposed to symbolize something for the shepherd as he took care of the people. One was to show favor. Uh, probably the idea that God would show his favor to his people, that the shepherd would show favor to the flock. The, the, the staff, the rod, was there to comfort the people and give favor to the people. So the shepherd had the one. The other, the flock, was called union. That would mean that he was going to bring the people together because we know the nation of Israel was divided into two, the north, the south, North was Israel, south was Judah, and in, Jer- in Zechariah's time, the north had been taken captive. But the, the prophet here says you have two uh, staffs and rod. One would be favor the Jewish people. One is I'll unify them and bring together. That's the purpose of Messiah. He will unify the people. He would show favor to the people. That's why he came to shepherd the people. And Zechariah's playing the role. And he said, so I took a... Those, my, my flock, one called favor, one called you. So I shepherded him and pastored them. Then he finally, he says, actually, the next couple of verses we don't get into, but it says, they rejected him. And so then it says, I said to them, if it's good, if it's good in your sight, give me my wages. The prophet is really saying, if I'm the good shepherd, I'm caring for you. I'm showing you favor. I'm bringing unity between us. Give me my wages. What do you think the prophet was looking for? What kind of wages was the Messiah looking for? Faithfulness, loyalty, devotion, acceptance, belief, following, serving the Lord, doing what's right and good. That's what the shepherd is trying to bring people back to a relationship with God. And so give me my wages. That's the wages he's looking for. And he says, give me my wages. But if not, if you're rejecting me, he says, well, then forget about it. Never mind. So what are the wages? What are the people giving for the Messiah? What are they giving for the good shepherd? What are they giving uh, for him to show favor to them and bring them unity? And it says, it tells them. It should sound familiar to most of you. So they weighed out for me what my wages were. And that was 30 shekels of silver for my wages. They valued him like a servant, like a slave. They didn't value him at all. And this is a prediction of everyone. It should be clear to us. Judas, selling his people to the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders, the high priests and the leaders, valued the Messiah. You want to give him to us? We'll give you 30 pieces of silver. It's the rejection of the Messiah. Zechariah wrote this about 550 BCE, 500 years before the Messiah. And he's saying, I wanted to shepherd my people, but they're rejecting me. They valued me at 30 pieces of silver. 
Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the, the, I, I threw them to the pot, potter in the house of the Lord. This verse tells us the value of the Messiah, our people, the high priests, the leaders. Now, don't get the wrong impression because 550 years later when the Jewish people, uh, when Messiah came and the Jewish people were there and the whole world saying all our people rejected the Messiah, that's not true. By the end of the first century, there were hundreds of thousands of Jewish believers that followed Yeshua. So you say, who rejected him? A few of the Jewish leaders, the high priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Well, most of the Sadducees, some of the Pharisees believed in him. And there was a small group on that morning when Yeshua was crucified. Early in the morning, could be five, six in the morning, when there was just a handful of rabble-rousers and a couple of the Jewish leaders, and they gave him over to Pilate, and and they had sold him to Judas for 30 pieces of silver. So the leaders represented the Jewish people. Just like we all have value and purpose, but here many times the ones who represent Shuva would be myself and the leaders. We would represent them. And so here the Jewish nation was valued. The leaders valued the Messiah. They rejected him as the price of a slave. But there's another passage that speaks of his rejection. And we should be quick to show. You could show Zechariah chapter 11. But I wouldn't go into the whole background I just gave you. I would just say they valued him at 30 pieces of silver. Most people would understand that. But the other passage that you always have to turn to, and that's why we in Chosen People Ministry are so big on it, I'm so big on it, the best passage in the world that has changed thousands, millions of Jewish people's lives, that passage is Isaiah 53. That speaks of the rejection of the Messiah. So we see two things really here going on today. One, the relationship of the son to the father. He would be called the son. He would be rule as the son. What would the Jewish people value? They would reject him. They would value him at 30 pieces of silver. They would value him. And finally, the Messiah would suffer. Uh, Follow along with me in Isaiah 52. Just as many people were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance, the Messiah, would be marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. This, I don't have to go into all the details, but this is telling us what the Messiah looked like when he stood in front of the people at the uh, praetorium, when, when uh, Pontius Pilate brought him out with the crown of thorns on his head, scarred and ripped, his skin ripped away, beard ripped away, blood all over his face, totally destroyed by scourging. And he comes out and says, behold, you're your king. Look at him. That's what this is probably referring to, that he was marred more than any man, more than the sons of men. Then it tells us he would be rejected. His rejection comes, the first three verses tells us he couldn't be the Messiah. This is Jewish people eventually admitting in the end time when they confess their sin and they remember and they realize Yeshua was the Messiah. They said, he couldn't have been the Messiah. He was too plain. I mean, if I wanted to follow someone, a Messiah, I want him to come in power and glory. I want to, I want to look up at the Messiah, not to see someone coming meek, humble on a donkey, suffering and being humbled, and being rejected, valued at 30 pieces of silver. And then here it says, he's going to be despised, forsaken of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's too plain. He's like one who meant we hide our face from him. He was despised and we didn't esteem him. Too plain. He can't be the Messiah. 
but they're going to reject him because this one's too plain. They're going to reject the Messiah because he suffered too much. If their theology was, if God has favor on you, you will be blessed. We hear false theology teaching that today, even among believers. If you're blessed of God, you should be healthy, wealthy, and rich. I hear that all the time on TV, especially from all kinds of preachers. This is false preaching. This is false teaching. If you want to enjoy it and have fun, watch it. If you want to see it's ridiculous and absurd, turn it off because it's, it's teaching you false heretical teaching. The Jewish people would reject the Messiah because they said he's too plain. Second, he suffered too much. Verse 4, surely our griefs he bore, our sorrows he carried. We ourselves esteemed him stricken of God, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he would be pierced through for our transgressions. He'd be crushed for our iniquities. The suffering, the chastising of our peace was upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. This one would be punished too much. All of us are like sheep. We've gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own way. And God has caused, and he has caused, the iniquity of all of us to fall on him, on the Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. He's going to be valued at 30 pieces of silver. He's too plain. He's punished too much. He didn't even speak up for himself. Isaiah 53. He was too quiet. Why did Messiah say something? He got there before Pilate and before the Jewish leaders and they accused him of all things and he stood there. Didn't answer. Why don't you defend yourself, they said. My kingdom's not of this world. Don't you realize I have the power to destroy and kill you and take your life? I like this one. You have no power at all. Picture him bound, scourged, looking at Pilate and all the Jewish leaders and all the wealth and everything and the power. And he goes, you have no power at all. That's our Messiah. But he can't be the Messiah. He's too quiet and too plain. Why doesn't he rise up? I like, he's, on, he's on the cross. You, you come down now. We'll believe in you. Well, they wouldn't have believed on him. But he stayed there for us. Too plain, too quiet. This one can't be the Messiah. And we conclude with these words. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. But he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like sheep that's silent before his shears, so he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, to whom the stroke was due. You see, Zacharias says he'd be rejected and valued like a slave. Isaiah says he'd be rejected because they thought he was uh, too plain. He suffered too much. He was too quiet. Isaiah 53.9. His grave was assigned with wicked men and uh, with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And as a result of his suffering, the anguish of his soul, he will see it, probably speaking about his resurrection, which we'll deal with next time. He will be satisfied. His no- the, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He will bear all their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong. Because he's poured out himself to death, he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and he interceded 
for the transgressors. You see, we know a little bit about the Messiah. You do. You knew much more. And you take this and you learn these verses. Our Messiah was the seed of mankind. Genesis, what did I say, 3, 15 or 16, right? Somewhere. Seed of mankind. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. You know the verses. I don't have to repeat them. The Messiah would be of the Jewish nation. One of my favorites. Numbers 24, 17. The Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah. Say it, Isaiah, uh, Genesis 49, 10. He's coming. The Messiah's ministry, he'd be humble. He'd be meek. He'd be a light to Jew and Gentile. He'd be a servant to Jew and Gentile. The Messiah's ministry. His role, the Messiah's the final prophet. There is no prophet after Yeshua, folks. He is the final one. There's another man who came to claim to be a prophet. He was not a prophet. It's a false heretical religion, the religion of Islam. It's a false prophet that came. Messiah was the prophet. He was the priest, like Melchizedek, a different priest, not from Levi and the Kohanes. He was the king, the king coming to fulfill the role of David's throne. Then his relationship with the father, he's a son. He was called the son. He will rule as the son on the throne of David over the government of Israel. And finally, right now, he'd be rejected. He'd be valued as a servant, a slave, 30 pieces of silver. He'd be despised and rejected because they said he was too plain. He suffered too much. He was too quiet. But he is the Messiah that can change our lives. You share that with people, it will change their lives forever. Father God, we thank you for the Scriptures making it very clear As Michael says, the ancient prophecies about the Messiah. We thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that these verses, these thoughts, we might study them, go over our head, and that you will give us opportunities in restaurants, on airplanes, wherever we go to share about our Messiah. We thank you for this day today. We thank you and praise you in Yeshua's name. Amen.